Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette. I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. And sitting across from me, looking heated, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> so yes, we're 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 going to take the temperature today in our podcast. Yeah, we're going to talk about the thermostat. Now we've already talked about air conditioning. On yes, this, we have on the show. So, uh, but we didn't didn't cover thermostats at all when we talked about air conditioning. No, uh, not really. And uh, the thermostat, of course, is that handy dandy little device that helps you maintain the right temperature. Because you know there are air conditioner and heater units out there that don't use thermostats. You manually have to turn it on or turn it off. So when you're like thinking, golly gee, the house sure is cold now. I don't need that air conditioner on anymore. You can go and switch it off. But uh, most of them tend to have some sort of thermostat in there, which helps maintain a comfortable temperature. You set the temperature you want. It starts whatever the process is that needs to get to that temperature, whether that's cooling the air down or heating it up. And then once it reaches that temperature, ideally it shuts off so that you don't continue on the pathway to uh, reach the other side of uncomfortable. <laughs> well, yeah, and uh, it's, it's also, I think, the second largest lead, uh, leading cause of divorce. <laughs> I want it two degrees colder. Are you done? No, I am. Okay. Yeah, no, uh, thermostats are not, uh, not exclusive to houses. No. Of course, uh, or, or buildings or, or keeping people comfortable. They're also in many other devices for keeping those devices comfortable, like say a car, for instance. Um, anything that, that, uh, where you need to measure temperature and switch on, uh, a cooling or a heating. Um, in the, in your car, it might turn on the cooling fan when it senses the engine might be nearing overheating. Yeah. Um, and if you look at a, a house thermostat and you see one of those digital high tech programmable models on the wall, you might get the idea that they are super duper sophisticated, but thermostats don't have to be that sophisticated. And in fact, actually use physics to, um, determine or, you know, to set off the switch inside that, that makes things hotter or cooler. Yeah. It's actually pretty cool in a way. You know, don't mean that in a temperature way. Ha, but, ha, uh, ha. I uh, see what you did there. These things are hot. Uh, now, the, uh, the, the, like Chris was saying, yeah, it uses physics. If you're looking at, let's say, let's talk about one of the old thermostats, okay? So, okay. Uh, so it's like that little beige box that's sitting on the wall and it's got the little, uh, uh yes. It's either got a I dial, well. yeah, either a dial or a lever and it has a little physical, uh, readout that you look at and it's got a little red needle. In that, that readout and by turning the dial or, or moving the lever to the left or to the right, you move the needle up and down this temperature uh, range to set it to whatever you want. So let's say we're going to say that, uh, the, the temperature inside the house right now is a, is a chilly 65 because, because we're in the dead of winter in Georgia. <laughs> and so, so we want to, we want to boost that up to about 72, let's say. Okay. We want we want it to be a little warm, maybe a little warmer than we normally would, because it's kind of chilly, and we want to 
want to have a, a nice little day inside. Uh, so we move the, the lever so that it, uh, moves up to 72. And then magically the heater comes on until it hits around 72 degrees and then shuts off. But what's going on inside? Well, inside the thermostat is, uh, at the very heart of it is a mercury switch. Ah, mercury. Yeah, no. Don't drink it. No, no. Mercury's pretty cool stuff. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a metal, which mm-hmm. at room temperature is liquid. Yep. As a matter of fact, um, my family, for some reason, when they uh, broke an old uh, mercury thermometer, decided to keep the mercury in a uh, baby food jar, which, oddly enough, we still have. Of course, it's sealed up. Uh, yeah. But, you know, t- mercury is highly toxic. Yes, yes. You do not want to have any contact with mercury. But um, It'll make when, you mad as a hatter. Yeah. But sealing it up inside a jar, you know, I got to see you know, move it. And it's, it's really neat to watch it, uh, break apart into little metal balls and then reform. Yeah. It's Very like a Terminator. Yes, exactly. It's the T-1000. Uh, when the T-1000 in, in the documentary Terminator 2, uh, <laughs> would come apart, you know, you would see it kind of turn th- these liquid shapes and then reform. Well, that's essentially, you know, that's mercury. That's what mercury does. Although mercury rarely will take a sentience and then chase after Sarah Connor. That part Thank is goodness. Yeah, that part doesn't happen that frequently. Um, <laughs> but but it is a liquid metal, and yeah. uh, and here's the thing about it, here's where we get into some physics. Mm-hmm. We're gonna mm-hmm. you know we'll get into more in a little bit, but uh, metals um, actually pretty much everything will uh, tend to expand when exposed to heat. Mm-hmm. Now what's really happening is that uh, you're adding energy into a system, and the atoms in that system start to move around, and this is what in effect, causes expansion. And of course, if you add enough heat to something, it, uh, depending on what it is, not everything will, will vaporize, but a lot of stuff vaporizes. It'll turn into a gas form. Uh, that's really when the atoms are, are, have so much energy and they're moving around so much, they're no longer, uh, cohesive as a liquid. Um, so mercury, uh, I mean, it takes a lot of, t- it takes way more heat than it would, than we would generate to, turn mercury into a gas, but um, in its liquid form, what happens is you put it into an enclosed space, you add heat, it's going to, the liquid inside that enclosed space is going to expand. The volume increases as the temperature increases. So if you were to put mercury, say, in a a glass bulb that uh, one side is elongated into a tube, a very thin tube, as the heat increases the uh the mercury would uh, appear to climb that tube it's because the mercury itself is expanding the volume's increasing as the temperature increases and that's the basis of a thermometer right the old mercury thermometers you would have this glass tube that was filled with mercury you would have uh, numbers that would uh, correspond to whatever the temperature was and then as the temperature rises you'd see the little level of mercury increase inside that glass tube you know suddenly i want to ride my bicycle that's you, a different kind of you, mercury. You want to ride your bike? Yes. Uh, that would be my nice Freddie Mercury. Fat bottom girls, you make the rock and roll I was go around. I was afraid you were going to go there. Well, I mean, yeah, all right, all right. The same song does reference it anyway. That's true. So, that's true. So in a therm- in a thermometer, that you've got the uh, mercury expanding to tell you what temperature it is. Yes. But there's a mercury switch, as you said, inside the thermostat. Right now, in this case, the mercury switch uh, is it's a little different. It's not. It's not acting as a thermometer. No. Uh, it's a glass vial, and it has three wires in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a wire that goes along the bottom of the glass vial, which is in constant contact with the liquid mercury. Mm-hmm. Then you have 
wires on the left and right side of the vial that are just out of contact with the mercury. Mm -hmm. But the vial itself can tilt to the left or to the right. And when it does tilt, the mercury then comes in contact with the wire that's on that particular side of the glass vial and then uh, completes a circuit between the bottom wire and the wire that's on the respective side. So let's arguably say the the vial tilts to the left. The mercury now is in contact with both the wire along the bottom of the vial and on the left side of the vial, and now you've got a circuit. Mm -hmm. So this gives us some opportunities here. If we create a system that will tilt the vial one way or the other based upon certain parameters, we we have a switch. Mm-hmm. And we have a switch that can either be off or it can be on on two different directions, mm-hmm. which is great for heating and cooling. Yes. So now we think, okay, well, we've got the switch. Uh, let's say that you, you want to adjust the heat and you want to turn up the heat and you, you move that, that, uh, that lever over. That's going to tilt that glass vial. Mm-hmm. All right. The mercury is going to move over to the correct side and that's going to initiate, it's going to cr- complete a circuit and then send uh, electricity to the heater, which will get the heater going, and the fan will start to turn, and you'll start to have warm air pumped throughout the the house or whatever it is that you're in. Right. Okay. So, how does the thermostat know when to stop? Well, more physics. <laughs> now, you know we've we've talked about how mercury is used in thermometers, and you might say, oh, so it's sort of acting like a thermometer, right? Because it can tell if it's hot or cold. No. Yeah. In this case, mercury is just acting as uh, a conductor, and because it's it's useful because it's liquid. Right. In this case, and it will make slosh contact. It will vial. slosh into the the and and touch the the two contacts together in the appropriate case. But uh, in this case, we're using uh, a couple of other metals. Yeah, it's a uh, using a a thermometer called a bimetallic thermometer, and. Based on its name, you may be able to discern what's special about this kind of thermometer. Yes. It's got two. Two. Two metals in one. Actually, yeah. it's not in one. They're laminated together. Yes. To make a strip. So, so yeah, on, on one side of the strip, you have one metal. And on the other side of the strip, it's another metal. They're joined together. And here's why you want this. You see, different metals will expand at different rates uh, in, in reaction to a change in temperature. Right. So one metal, when you uh, when you apply heat to it, might expand rather rapidly, while a second metal, in relation to the first one, will go more slowly. And you put these two different pieces of metal together, and as one expands at a rate that's faster than the other, it's going to change the shape of that sheet of metal. Mm-hmm. Now, in the case of these thermostats, these bimetallic uh, thermometers tend to be... Uh, arranged in a coil. Mm-hmm. And so you've got a coil of this material where on the outer edge and the inner edge, it's two different metals. The inner edge is usually the one that expands faster um, when when uh, heat is applied. You've got it in this coiled shape. And uh, the, the the way this works is that when it when the uh, temperature rises, the uh, the expansion on the inner layer of this coil will cause the coil to uncoil, start to unwind. Mm-hmm. When it unwinds enough, it actually presses up against the mercury switch and r- puts it back into its central uh, configuration. 
okay, I don't need to be on anymore. I'll turn off. Exactly. The mercury no longer is in contact with both wires because once it is set back to its central location, only the bottom wire is connected. The circuit is broken and the heater stops working. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in general, usually there's a system in place where this will actually shut off before you reach that full temperature because – Depending on where you are in the house, like you don't want the thermostat to be right next to the heating vent. No. Because it'll the temperature of the thermostat will change too quickly. Right. So you would you might be in a situation where if the hot air were right next to the thermostat, the thermostat goes, Oh, okay, it's already seventy two degrees. Meanwhile, you're in the living room going, Why is it so cold in here? Right. So you want the thermostat to be someplace where it will be exposed to the flow of air, but won't be right there at a vent. So the thinking here is that, well, if we, we may want the thermostat to shut off a couple of degrees cooler than what you set it at because the room that's going to be closer to the actual vent is going to be warmer than wherever the thermostat is and the heat will disperse throughout the house. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, a, a way of making sure you don't get too warm because then you're going to be sitting there thinking, I set it to 72 and now it feels like it's like 76. What's going on? Mm-hmm. So um, to do that, they have a, a resistor. Inside the thermostat. No, I'm not going. <laughs> so resistors will uh, actually heat up as electricity goes through them. And uh, the resistor itself acts as a heater for that coil that's inside the thermostat. So it'll expand a little faster mm-hmm. than it would if it were just measuring the ambient temperature of the air. Right. So uh, that will cause the heater to to shut down a little more quickly than it would if uh, if it were just reacting to the ambient air temperature. So, um, uh, of course, if the, the house cools down, you know, after you've heated it up, then that coil is going to slowly start to contract, mm-hmm. you know, as, as it's, uh, uh, as that temperature drops. And if it contracts enough, then the mercury vial is going to tilt again, and that's going to start the system all over again. You get that completed circuit, which sends the electricity to the heater. And you start up again. Same thing is true, by the way, of air conditioning, except, you know, you're talking about contracting instead of expanding. But it's the it's just tilting the mercury vial the other way. Mm-hmm. And as the temperature goes down, the uh, coil contracts and then the, the vial will eventually be set back to its central fig- configuration. Uh, now, th- this is a, your basic analog thermostat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the way all thermostats work. It's the way the older ones work. So if you ever in a building that has that and you hear that clicking noise, that's the sound of the, uh, the vial actually turning and, uh, and, and the, uh, the circuit completing. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what you're hearing there. Uh, some thermostats are using, uh, thermistors, mm-hmm. <laughs> which are sort of digital thermometers. Uh, it's a little different. That's, that's not, um, based on the mercury switch necessarily, although some are kind of a hybrid between the two. Yeah, I actually think that that, uh, that system is brilliant because yeah. it, it's relying on the laws of physics, you know, which are not going to change for the thermostat. So. No, it's not like neutrinos are suddenly going to go faster than the speed of light. <laughs> right. Um, and there, I, that was a joke, people. I know. I, I'm reading up on the whole story. That was just a, me playing – Playing a joke about the laws of physics not changing. Right. No, but it's a it's a brilliant system because it's so simple in its design. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, frankly, I've I've found that uh, the manual thermostats, while they don't necessarily save you as much energy as a programmable, uh, some programmable thermostats are a real pain in the neck to use. Yeah, <laughs> so especially if you don't realize what what setting it's on, or 
you take a week of vacation and you're at home and you're thinking, why is it so warm? Yeah. And then you're like, oh, it's on the programmed yeah. one as opposed to a constant. I almost always turn the program off, which is not terribly um, efficient and, and actually – one could argue irresponsible of me because it means I'm wasting electricity. And uh, uh, that's probably, you know, that's, I can't really argue with that, right? Well, right. Um, well, the digital ones that use the thermistors, in case you're wondering how the thermistor works, it actually is um, uh, allowing, uh, it changes the electrical resistance of the material inside as the temperature changes. That's mm-hmm. how, it, how it determines uh, if it's at the right temperature or not, or whether, it, you know, the, the heating or cooling device needs to be uh, still going. Um, and of course, the programmable thermostats still use, uh, still need to be able to uh, identify what temperature it is, because um, you know it's it's simply adding a, a layer of electronics to the the simplicity of the uh, the thermostat. Because yeah. y- you know you're just saying, okay, at six in the morning, I want it at this temperature. At you know two in the afternoon, I want it at this temperature. On the weekend, I want it to be this. You know, once you do that and it has uh, the clock in it internally set correctly, uh, assuming that your batteries don't die, um, you know, it's it's just adding a layer of complexity. But the, the thermostat at its heart is still using, uh, you know, basically measuring the temperature and using the switch to turn the heat or cooling system on or off. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's certain components that are going to be uh, uh, common across all thermostats. They may not take the exact same form. But they they follow the same function. Yeah, even in a system where you have zoning. Yeah, zoning can be important if you're in a well, if you're like in a in building, an office building. Yeah, an office building. Clearly, you're going to need zones because uh, the especially if it's say it's a high rise um, or a skyscraper. That's the temperature is going to vary quite a bit from the very top to the very bottom. Especially if you imagine that there was no heating or cooling system in there at all, mm-hmm. you would know. You know, like, well, it's going to feel a lot different on floor number one than it is on floor number fifty. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you got to have special zoning in there. But even some houses will have it, especially depending on the the layout of the house. You know, some houses are uh, if they're like a flat style where mm-hmm. it's it's multiple floors. Uh, it may be that the the bottom floor is always much cooler than the top floor, and you might want special zoning there so that the entire uh, domicile, domicile remains in in a comfortable temperature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's also uh, fairly common, and we're also seeing some web connected thermostats these days, where you can even you know manage your home's climate remotely. Ah, the Internet of Things. Yeah, which is interesting and frustrating in the sense that uh, it's frustrating in the sense that there's not really a standard way to approach this yet. So it's all proprietary. Yeah, but you can you can there's several different companies that offer uh, home automation systems. Yeah. And basically what you do is you set the, uh, uh, the different systems up and we're talking things like locking and unlocking the doors, turning lights off and on. Um, the thermostat and all sorts of other things, perhaps a um, camera security system, some, you know, the different things. And you can have the system set up to where you can manage all these things through a computer or even your smartphone now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. It's just, uh, you're right. I mean, a lot of the times the, the uh, hardware uh, is proprietary. So let's say you have one company and their billing has gotten out of control and I could, I could get a cheaper system. Um, you're likely to have to have uh, the new company come in and install their equipment. Yeah. Because it won't, they can't go, oh, well, you know, I can, I can use so and so's equipment. 
you're probably not. Now, that's not necessarily true. But yeah. it is in in some cases. There's also the the possibility. There's also the possibility that whatever company you go with ends up going out of business. Yeah. And if that happens, if your commands are sent through corporate servers, yeah, before they get to your house to make whatever the changes are, if that company goes out of business, then you're out of luck. Uh, I mean, most of these systems still have uh, the the way you know you can still program it manually so that it's not like all functionality is going to disappear it's just that the extra stuff you pay for might not uh, stick around mm-hmm. but that does bring us to an interesting development something that has made the news recently uh and it's it's kind of interesting that that such a you, know, you would normally think thermostats those are fairly mundane yeah it's i mean it's not the sort of thing that usually makes waves in the tech world I, I could guarantee you that that uh, the thermostat you were describing earlier in the episode is something that peop, just about everybody we're talking to on this podcast has seen in somebody's house at some point. Yeah. Simply because um, it's so reliable. I yeah. Mean, thermostats don't just break in a lot of instances. I've seen you know the old mechanical thermostats last years and years and years and years. Yeah. Um, so and I, I could just about guarantee that people have seen the type that you were talking about before the uh, the pre digital variety. Right. Um, so you know other than the programmable thermostat, there hasn't been I would say uh, a massive surge in thermostat technology. Yeah. The the web connection is probably the closest that yeah. that we can come to. But even then, you're just adding some sort of connectivity to the device. In this case, we're talking about something that that goes a step beyond just connectivity, and we owe thanks to uh, Mr. Tony Fidel, who uh, made a a real name for himself developing, being one of the developers on a a, a truly iconic product. Yes. Which is the iPod. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's so iconic that we have podcasting. Uh, And yeah, there are people who refer to it as netcasting or or webcasting. Uh, but but truth, you know, the podcasting is like the, the common. <laughs> that's different. Podcasting is is the common term for what what it is that Chris and I are doing right now. Um, and it we you know it owes everything to the Apple iPod. It was mm-hmm. the MP3 player that it was not the first MP3 player to hit the market, but it was a huge success and it essentially defined the market. Mm-hmm. Once once the iPod hit and uh, people started to adopt it. Uh, all other MP3 players at that point, for moving forward, were essentially uh, guided by the iPod. Either they were trying to do what the iPod did but do it better, or to try and completely depart from the way the iPod did things in a way to differentiate the the product from the the standard bearer. Really, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so well, I was going to say one of the things that made the iPod great in its time was the simplicity of its controls. Yeah. And you'll remember uh, just a, a, a couple minutes ago, I was talking about how some digital thermostats can be a real pain in the neck to use mm-hmm. um, because the controls uh, aren't necessarily um, aren't necessarily straightforward in their labeling. Yeah. Or They're, it may it may take s- multiple steps just for you to go like if you want to get really granular with your programming so that. You know, for instance, uh, you might telework one day out of the week. Mm-hmm. And so you want that one day out of the week to have a slightly different program than all the other work days that you have. You know, so let's say that you, let's say you work from home on Tuesdays. Okay. And so, uh, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you want it set up so that it's going to save as much electricity as possible while you're away. 
But on Tuesdays, you're going to be home. So you've got to make sure that when you program your, your thermostat that the Tuesday is the exception and your weekends are exceptions because, mm-hmm. you know, your weekend, you're not going to be away from your home the way you are during the work week. Right. So getting this program in a typical digital thermostat can sometimes be frustrating. It's like setting an old VCR. You're put kids ask your parents what VCRs were. Uh but Sunday, it's, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Right. Okay, Wednesday, two PM, three PM, right. four PM uh, uh, too late, gotta go around the horn. Yep. Yeah. So um Can't yeah, go back. It, it could be a little bit of frust a little bit of an exercise in frustration. So yeah. the Mr. Fidel uh, who now works for a company called Nest Labs, decided to try and develop a thermostat that would be easy to program and not just easy to program, but could learn uh, how to program your climate control system in your home based upon your uh, activities. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, Nest Labs is a fairly new company. Um, uh Matt Rogers, who uh, worked on the uh, the iPod and iPad, uh, was the co-founder and vice president of engineering for Nest Labs. Um, and he uh, he interviewed with uh, uh, Martin LaMonica at uh, CNET, which was an interesting interview. Uh, just talking about how the point is to make a very simple and easy to use thermostat that picks up uh, picks up what you're trying to lay down, man. Yeah. It's it's paying attention to the way you like things. It, it's called the uh, the it's the Nest thermostat, the and the Nest Learning thermostat. In fact, uh, so uh, very simple looking design. It's a little round thermostat mm-hmm. has has the temperature in nice big digits, so it's easy to read. Um, it even has a little leaf icon that'll pop up whenever you're using the thermostat to its uh, to its best efficiency, so that you're saving power and you're mm-hmm. conserving electricity. Uh, we've seen that actually in other products as well, particularly in cars. Yeah, you know, cars that are supposed to be energy efficient. Now, all, many of leaf. them, yeah, they have a little leaf icon. The Nissan Leaf being the the leading example. Sure, but. Uh, yeah, seeing this pop up in other products now. And in this case, uh, yeah, the, the, it has this feature where not just, you, you have the remote control that you have with other web enabled thermostats. Mm-hmm. But, uh, in this case, it actually starts to, um, follow what you do and it will start to proactively make adjustments based upon what you have done in the past. Mm-hmm. And it will even do things like connect to the web and look at things like weather reports. So, you know, you've set up the system. You have a web-enabled system. It knows where you are based upon the information you've put in. It's not like there's a GPS or anything in it. It's that you are entering this information. So in our case, we'd say Atlanta, Georgia. And then because it knows we're in Atlanta, Georgia, let's say there's a heat wave that's moving through Atlanta, Georgia. It already knows proactively that the temperature outside is going to to go up and it starts to prepare everything so that it, the air conditioning system was going to be more active during those times than it would be if the temperature were you know, more moderate. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting in that it's not just learning how you work. Like maybe it learns – you know what? He likes it pretty cool at night, but by the time it starts getting to the morning and wants it a little bit warmer, it starts to make those adjustments based upon how you adjust the thermostat yourself. Um, it also will anticipate your needs based upon what's going on outside, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. It is very cool. It is also very pricey. 
It's around two hundred and fifty dollars, and here here in the United States, that's quite a bit more than most programmable thermostats I've seen. That being said, two hundred and fifty dollars when you look at personal electronics is is really reasonable. I mean, when oh, yeah. I, like I, like I'm looking, I'm I'm when I heard two hundred and fifty dollars, my reaction was, "Wow, that's all," <laughs> but that was because I was thinking about. The smart technology and the programmability and, and how it does this anticipation mm-hmm. and how much money it would, at least in theory, or could save you. Because that's the big thing is that uh, up to 50% of the typical, uh, American, uh, electric bill goes to heating and cooling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you were to improve efficiencies, you could theoretically save money. In fact, there are some uh, estimates I saw where you could save up to $1,000 a year with the right system in place, which means that in a quarter of a year, you've already paid off the purchase price of the Nest. Yeah, yeah. That being said, Nest is not sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> this isn't an advertisement for Nest. It just was you know, one of the points that they brought up, at least in their marketing speak. Yeah, and, and it's important to note too, that this system isn't so firmly ingrained in another system to the point where it can't be used as a standalone device. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it, it's uh, um, even though the creators are uh, are formal, former Appleites, um, the uh, the Nest can be used with an iOS device or an Android device, so that you can actually uh, make contact with it and change the temperature if you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it uses Wi-Fi on its own, so. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be hooked into some uh, brain somewhere else in the building, right? As uh, as some other systems. And I, I want to point out too, it's not all home automation technology that requires those systems, but some of them do. Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, there are some that just hook up directly to your home network, and yeah. this is one of those examples. This, yeah. this one links directly into your home wireless network. Yeah. Earlier, I was thinking of the home automation system that is offered through my alarm company. Right. And if I wanted, which to- has a centralized operating. Yeah, exactly. And if I wanted to take advantage of that, uh, and and later on switch providers, they would end up not being able to use that equipment. But yeah, there there is other stuff you can use. Now, according to Nest Labs, it takes about a week for this thermostat to learn what you like based upon, you know, what what you tell it during during that first week, which is kind of interesting to me too that the algorithms are so so uh, um, sophisticated mm-hmm. that it can pick up on your activities that quickly. Um, Raisins. He, he likes, likes raisins. raisins. It makes me want to, it makes me think that there's got to be ways where you can screw with it. Well, <laughs> like I would just imagine going to someone's house who has this and just like, <laughs> they're just going to think that he wants it at 92 degrees at three in the morning. <laughs> well, and, and yesterday, um, literally yesterday, the day we were recording this, uh, the uh, maintenance guy came to do our semi annual uh, checkup on my furnace and you know does the heating and air conditioning thing and of course to do that they have to crank up the the thermostat to something that's ridiculously higher to make sure the heat or the air conditioning comes on so they can check it and so i wonder what the nest would do it's like wait a minute why does he suddenly want it at 85 degrees yeah uh that's kind of strange anyway uh it's interesting to see that there no just ignore it (laughs) it's interesting to see some some real development in this uh field when you you know when you consider that again like chris was saying this is not exactly one of those technologies that has had you know a meteoric rise in sophistication over the last several decades and for the for many years it just kind of the old the old analog systems were that was that was the what you saw yeah but uh you know they're all still based on the same principle of 
trying to uh, to get the climate at the right temperature and then maintaining that uh, until you change the settings. Mm-hmm. So some things never change. Um, by the way, if you are interested in reading more about the thermostats and exactly how these these uh, systems work and things like the bimetallic thermometers, um, we have some articles on how stuff works that cover this, including how home thermostats work, which is a, a very comprehensive article about the whole system. And then we have How Thermometers Work, which was written by our very own Marshall Brain, uh, that will go on into more detail about things like the bimetallic th- uh, thermometers. If you want, if you're interested and want to learn more about that and you want to get deeper into the physics of it, I recommend both of those. And, uh, I guess that kind of wraps up this discussion. It's actually getting a little chilly here in the, uh, the studio. So we're going to take a little break now and, and heat things up before we have to record another podcast. Uh, I think, um, some of, the, some of these, uh, stuff you should know t-shirts are probably flammable. <laughs> All right. So, uh, guys, we're wrapping this up. If you have any topics you would like us to discuss in future episodes, please let us know. You can send us an email. That address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or let us know on one of the social networks we are always on, which include Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is TechStuffHSW. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?